This morning we will continue our look at the book of Ephesians. God's help, we will grow in the faith and holiness this morning. And so let me read to you verses 3 through 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's ask for God's help this Father, we pray that meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, and that you would help us by the power of your spirit. Christ's spirit. So last week, I spent a lot of time talking about um, the help of the doctrine of predestination and why it is a good thing. And this morning, we're going to talk about the end point. Like, what, what were we predestined is we're not just predestined arbitrarily, as we know. And so we obviously have a reason to exist. A reason that God elected some to grace. And that reason here is stated twofold, basically. So the first is that we would and found in verse uh, four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the first reason. That's the point of our election unto grace. The point of our adoption as sons in Christ. That we would be holy and blameless. What does that mean? Well, there are two ways that you can take this section, and I think both are pretty valid. One is that we would be holy and blameless before him in Christ, is the final day when we stand before Christ and the, uh, the final white throne judgment and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, because Christ is my righteousness. I think that's perfectly valid, but I don't think it's the only thing that Paul is writing to Ephesians about because he has a theme that he develops throughout the book, including places like verse 10 of chapter 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. There are these things, these good works that were prepared along with our redemption. So predestination, election, and eternity past was not just the point of our salvation. So if you think of what election and predestination are, they're not just... On this day, at this time, you will hear the gospel and you will respond to God in love and faith. It's not just that. Our election and predestination is our entire life in Christ. 
It's all mapped out. It's all planned. It is all for the glory of Christ as his workmanship. And we see it in all kinds of themes in Scripture. There's a theme of the potter and the clay that comes from Isaiah and it's picked up by Paul in Romans chapter 9 that we are clams of clay and that God forms us however he would like to form us. Some of us for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. He makes us. So he's forming us into the thing he would like us to be. And ultimately that thing is into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That the purpose of our life here is not to remain as we were, but to be changed and continue to be changed so that we are in greater and greater conformity to the image of Jesus. Which means, as soon as we begin to walk in Christ, we begin performing good works in the same fashion, in the same way that Jesus did. And that those good works are ours. They belong to us in eternity past. That's really good news. Because in and of ourselves, we have a lot of trouble being good. Doing right. Saying right. We don't have a natural inclination in ourselves outside of Christ to do good things. But when we are in Christ, when we are made new, we're given a new heart, a new desire begins. And it's a desire to please God. It's a desire to do right, to be holy, to be blameless, to do the good works that He has set out for us to do. But it's not just like a magic pill you take when you become a Christian. Although that tends to be how we end up making it seem. That we're just going to stumble our way into holiness. That it just kind of happens. We don't have to take any stock of things. Or we don't have to wonder what holiness is. Or work in any way. There was a phrase that's kind of morphed and doesn't quite mean this these days. But I know you've heard it. It's the phrase, let go and let God. And that began, again, this is not on our continent, but same era, so mid-1800s, but in England, that phrase picked up this pietistic notion that to achieve holiness in this life, get a second blessing of holiness and righteousness, to be able to be sinless in this life, it was an act of God, and an act of God alone. And so what we would do as Christians is just kind of hang out, let God do his thing, and then kind of wake up in the morning and be more righteous. That's the Christian faith. Just kind of let the angels take you to the next level. You see it in some hymns that we probably know some, even since I've been here, because there are truths in them that are good, but um, a higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's actually a pietistic hymn from this era. That's basically saying, like, just, just move me into more holiness and I'll just kind of float along with you. Let go, let God do his thing. There is a piece of truth in that, right? God's righteousness is given to us in Christ, not only for the end of the day, but also for the moment. But it makes us into these, like, 
sack puppets that don't have any knowledge of holiness or how to achieve it or what righteousness might look like in our lives, and that we actually are not participants in life. We just kind of float along as God kind of holds us along. But that is not a Christian view of works. That's a hyper view of good works. That's a grace, 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 no works view of good works. And the reality is, the Christian life, after the point at which we are given the righteousness of Christ, justified before God, is something that is both and. God working in us, and us working. Uh, you see it in you know, the most famous passage that's often quoted is uh, from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. It says this, therefore, my beloved, this is Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, so the church in Philippi, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also in my absence. So he says, I saw you obeying, and now I've been away, and you're still obeying. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a pretty clear command. Figure it out and do it with fear and trembling. You are commanded as a Christian to figure out your walk with Christ. Think about it. To plan it. To meditate on it. To do it. To make an effort. To work. But then this. For. So this is how we get the ability to do this. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. It's both things. It is you working. It is us working. And it is God working. And it is God willing. And it is God changing us. You can't have it one way or the other. It's always both. And so we reject the pietistic notion that we just let go. And all of a sudden become more holy the next day somehow. And we reject the notion that it is by works that we are saved. Because in Ephesians chapter 1 that we just read, we are adopted as sons, which is the point of justification. We become Christians to do good works. Not the other way around. So we don't do a bunch of good things in hopes of being adopted. We are adopted. Left before the foundation of the world for adoption of sons, so that you would be holy and blameless before him. That the purpose of sonship for us is godliness, holiness, righteousness, blamelessness. That our goal in life is to grow in these things. And it's picked up, I mean, this is a constant thing because we constantly need to be reminded of it that. It's not, the point of the Christian life is not to just go, I am saved. It's to actually show that you are saved by doing things in a righteous way. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, 
that we do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. For God has not for God, sorry, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Each one of you learn to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before, solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, the pursuit of holiness, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. If anyone says to you, you ought not to pursue your own sanctification by working, they're not denying your name, they're denying God. That it is your Christian duty to be sanctified. It is a duty, and it is yours. And to not do it, Paul says, to brothers, right? So this is to the church, to believers, that I warn you solemnly that God is a vengeance. It's a pretty solemn thing to say to a believer. This isn't to the world. This isn't to the guy outside the church who is doing drugs and sleeping around. God will judge him. And he will pay dearly for his sins if he does not obey. This is to the church. And God, Paul says, by God, you must be sanctified. You must work at sanctification. God will avenge it. We ought not to ignore this. This is not a secondary part of the Christian life. This is the Christian life. We often spend a lot of times making the Christian life a mystic sort of thing. Try to find the most holy thing we could possibly do with our time and our motives and our money. So we spend, you know, let's say a missionary comes and they present to us this great work we did. Think, oh, what should I do with all of my money? Should I give it to this missionary? And we pretend like it's holy to spend six months wondering if we should actually give to a missionary. Or we pretend like it's a holy thing to spend a year deciding if we should date a girl. It's not any more holy. More than likely, you're just delaying what you know is right. And it might be date the girl, and it might be not date the girl, and it might be give money or not give money. But oftentimes, we hide behind overt holiness to delay obedience. That is what the Christian normally does. This is why we need to be motivated to not do that. Our spirituality, our works, our good things, our blamelessness is not hyper-spiritualizing it. It's not making it as though this is the most important decision we'll ever do and then just never doing it. That that's holy. Godliness is in the doing, not in the waiting to do. This is really, you could argue, the entire point of the opening of the letter to James. He's making, he's dealing with these people who are like, no, 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 James, listen. We love the Lord. We, we absolutely are Christians and, and we, we honor Him in everything. And I don't know why you would ever doubt that, James. 
says this. This is James, writing to the church. You are having problems just doing things. Just doing things. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me by your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You what? the demons and shut. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now we're not talking, James is not talking about if we're justified before God. He's talking if we're justified before God. He's saying, show me that you actually believe. Not prove to God that you actually believe. He's saying, faith that doesn't outwardly look like faith is not true faith. It has to be actually seen. It's the same principle as when Jesus says in Matthew, a light cannot be hidden. Do not put your light under a bush, but let it shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and believe and glorify your Father in heaven. It's the same principle. James is not arguing that you are justified on the basis of works to God. He's saying if you're a Christian and you never do anything Christianly, you have no testimony to call yourself a Christian. That is a fighting and if it doesn't frighten you, I would urge you to think about it again. If you had to be examined this week and had to prove to me and to everyone here that your life is actually different than your pagan neighbor, would it actually look any different? Would you be able to say, this is the thing that a pagan would do? It's why Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, he says, continue to obey. He doesn't say, continue to obey lightly. He says, continue to obey in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. We should actually ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to be godly today? 
next week, not next year, right now. Probably this in the moment to display the Christian faith. This is a question that we have to ask. It's a question we have to be constantly asking. Because if our lives look no different than the pagan next door, who's just a moral person, They're never going to believe in God. If there is no difference, what good would it do him? And the, the end result of these things, right? So I've quoted from Matthew, I've quoted from James, but you could also go to maybe the letter of 1 Peter, and you can see that the end of good works, our good works, is not our justification before God, but our justification before men. And that is supposed to result in what? So that they might glorify our Father. That actually our holiness, our blamelessness, our righteousness is not the end for which God made us elect before the foundation of the world, but that it's still moving towards something even so in and of ourselves, the end for which we are made in Christ is a holiness. But that holiness has another end for it. So if we continue to read in Ephesians, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Or to the praise of the glory of his grace. Later on, so that we who are the first hope in Christ might lead to the praise of his glory. Again, in verse 14, the Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That the whole point of those works which we are predestined to do is not so that we could get accolades, it's not even so that we might just be holy and blameless before him. It's so that our holiness and blamelessness points to the glory of the grace of God. That's it. That's the whole point of all things is the glory of God in salvation from beginning to end and every point in between that God would be magnified in our lives. And so the way we actually are motivated to do the good things in fear and trembling is not just fear and trembling. It's motivated by the desire to make our Lord known. So that other people might be adopted into heaven. So that they could in turn glorify God in heaven. So that more and more glory could be filling the earth because of the grace of our Lord. That our final motivator is is God getting the amount of glory he deserves in my life before this person or that person or this family or that family or this neighbor or this stranger? Is God receiving glory in my life for the things that are true? And if he's not, we should work to make it so. Because we care about the glory of God. We actually care 
whether or not God is esteemed rightly. And we should care all the time. This is our base question in what holiness is. The question we ask, is this holy, is this righteous, should I do it, should I not, is will God receive The answer is no, I should not do it. But the answer is yes, and we should do it no matter the cost. And that's really the question that is always before us. What is the cost of holiness for the glory of God? Is the cost great enough that we would? Disobey our Lord and bring disrepute to him. And oftentimes, we tend to listen. And in our society, the sin that this most effectively silences is words, not deeds. It's almost always words. We are very happy to do things that are God, as long as we never have to say, I'm doing this because Christ died. Or, I'm doing this, and you should too, because God said it was true about the world. Just an example. Let's say you do pull over and you help the person on the side of the road. That was a flat tire. You give them a ride in the town, and they need a can of gas, so you take it back home. And it takes you a half an hour. And you have done something ostensibly good. You have helped somebody who needed food and clothing. You have filled their belly and actually done it. And they said, I'm hungry. You gave them something to eat. So you do any number of those sorts of things. But you never give them the only thing that actually satisfies with any sort of verbal recognition have not actually performed anything good. The pagan thing. That the worst moral monster could do. Anyone can do a good thing. Only a Christian can magnify the Lord. And that takes Even when it costs us so little, so little, we are reticent to do these things. We are silent when we should speak. Even when it costs us almost nothing, a person we may never see it. And the worst that will cost us in a moment is they will just kind of scoff at us. And so then we take that into our next relationships, our neighbors. Know a little bit, we'll see again, or even less will to speak anything true. And we're even less willing to use our mouths to glorify the Lord of Glory. This is all the time our problem in our society, the sin that prevails here. I don't know what the sins are in Guam, and I don't know what the sins are in Afghanistan, but I know what the sins are here. 
Sins are often or should I say long. I met a woman just a few weeks ago who was bragging about her daughter, which is fine. You want to brag about your children. You want to say good things about what your kids are doing. And her daughter was going to be involved in a boxing match or an MMA match or something. And all I wanted to do at that point was to say, Terrible that you have to endure seeing your star's face get beaten by another man. Because that's what I felt and that's what I know is true. It is true. It is something a parent should not actually delight in. To see their daughter's face smashed in by another human being, whether they're a woman or a man. But what did I I didn't say it's good. I just didn't say it was actually bad. And you could go, Joe, you would have just you know, upset the person in a moment. Probably. The truth often upsets us, but that doesn't make it less true and less meaningful in the moment. It's probably the only time I've ever gotten bumped into this. It would have cost me this much. This much. constant with this. It's not just me. I could tell you a hundred examples of how it is me. It is us. Our good works stop right at the point where they become Christian. I open the door for the lady. I let her in. I make small talk with her. And she tells me this thing and I do nothing to witness the truth. Right at the point where it would have been something to magnify the Lord. We should not stop. That's the whole point of doing good things. It's to not stop there. It's to actually give witness to the thing that is actually true, actually good, and actually helpful. Which is that God is the king of the universe. And we ought to obey him. And when we do, our life goes well. That's the truth that we should seek. And we don't. And so I, I'm not up here going to give you a list of things. You should do this, not do that. You should do this one and not that thing. Because that is not how the Christian life works. I'm not you. You're not me. You don't walk where I walk. I don't walk where you walk. I don't see the people you see. You don't see the people I see. There are a thousand interactions every week that each of us has with tons of people for various reasons. And the question before us is whether or not we will walk in a way that's holy and blameless, bringing praise to the Lord and His grace, or we will remain silent and walk the entire week without actually doing anything It's a hard thing. It's why it's in fear and trembling that we walk. It's why God is an avenger that we are warned. Do not leave and think, I have nothing, nothing yet to fear. 
because I have any authority to tell you fear. Because God has said, fear. And God has said, I deserve the praise of my name. This is all good. Years and years ago, this would have been 2006, I heard a sermon on Revelation 5. I think we all have a thing. I talked about it a few months ago. About a month later, I heard another sermon, Judges chapter 17. In that sermon, I will never forget hearing Paraphrase say, Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? That phrase about evangelism and the purchasing of souls. But it's about more than that. Because God in his infinite glory deserves not just the point of declaring the gospel to the praise of his glory, but every single point thereafter belongs to him. And he deserves it. Because he is He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him to the praise of his glorious grace. And so I ask you this morning, does your adoption, your predestined, chosen before the foundation of the world election as a son or daughter of God, compel you to do things, to say things, to walk in a way? We believe the doctrine, right? It will. This is our day to walk in a way that pleases the Lord that He designed before the foundation of the world. How much more glorious is this? We have trouble making plans a day, a week, a month, a year, or ten years out. We forget what we were going to do, how we were going to say it. We write a speech for a wedding, maybe, and then we flub it up. God's predestinating power is perfect and never failing. Take hold of it and then walk boldly in your grace. Boldly in your grace. Without fear in your grace. Happily in your grace. Knowing that every time you do it, glory, 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 glory happens. So there is a fear motivating, there is a purpose motivating, there is a glory motivating, and there is a happiness motivating. What greater delight do children have than to have their father say, Good job. Good job. You did it. I knew you could. And you did You all know or even if you have it and you've just seen it. The reason it matters is because the Father is delighted in us. And that makes us happy. And he does say that to us. Good job. Good job. You have done well. Come and eat. And not only will he say that 
now, in the present, while we're pleasing Him, but that is actually our final reward. Well done. We have lots of motivating factors to push us towards goodness. And they were all planned for us. Every single one of them. So go walk it. Don't fear man. Walk in a way that you know will please the Lord this week. Say the things that you know are true and will actually glorify God. And when you have opportunity, open your mouth Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us by